A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> it's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast with Owen Devitt and Ken Early. How are you again? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Brendan Rogers seemed pretty pretty pleased with the work of his team last night, having told him before the game, the season starts here. <laughs> I don't know how often a manager tells an underperforming team that. Better late than never. Uh, they stopped the rot against Ludogorets, or at least they slowed the rot. I mean, I wouldn't say the rot has completely stopped. They didn't lose a fifth match in a row, uh. but they still can't win one. For a team struggling for confidence, it would have been nice to hold out for those last few minutes rather than to concede a pesky equaliser, even if it doesn't change the complexion of the group too much. Yeah, it would have been nice to hold on, but you could kind of see it coming. I mean, when, when the side has such obvious weaknesses, every time the opposing team gets a free kick, or even just gets the ball, mm. you know, it could be dangerous. I mean, what I thought was interesting about the Liverpool uh, selection last night was how kind of self-consciously negative it was. It was sort of, oh, a Lallana, he's a little bit, oh, a little bit dribbly, a little the bit, no, get him on the bench. Oh, in fairness, he's usually on the bench, um, despite his his massive price tag. Coutinho, <laughs> is he the kind of guy you want in the trenches for a game like this? You know, let's pack the team with... You want your uh, Lucases, your you want Jordan your Andersons. Allens, your Hendersons, your Jars. You know, so it was, um, it was kind of a very... Uh, Self-conscious, self-consciously, we're going to get out there and be solid. And then, of course, they conceded a goal after, what, two minutes, which you can imagine at that point, Brendan Rodgers is seriously thinking, <laughs> I can't believe this. Well, Lucas, the guy who is supposed to be able to play that sort of a role, um, def- defending, marshalling ahead of the back four, just ran around after his opponent, completely yeah. oblivious to any sort of positional play or holding his ground in any sense. But I think we regret that they were better than they have been in other games. Um, well, they got a draw. They did. They managed to get a draw. I mean, Lambert is, is, is better than Balotelli. I mean, Lambert is, is, is obviously a, a big lad who is coming towards the end of his career. He's not, uh, he's not quick. He's not going to get in behind the defence. He does, however, have some notion of what he's supposed to do out there, or what 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 might be of advantage to the team. You know, what sort of positions that he can take up, um, bringing other people into play. He's aware of all that. He try. He's trying. He's trying so hard to do that. Whereas Balotelli, if he is aware, it, it doesn't look as though he is. I mean, 
to pick though Stephen Gerrard along more or less kind of as the, as the attacking partner Number of 10. Lambert is just what is this you know a, a scouse duo with a combined age of 66 you know uh, neither of whom is capable I mean how would a one-two work between Stephen Gerrard and Ricky Lambert what you know at what how short would the one-two have to be for them to be able to pull it off you know what I mean yeah. you would ideally want somebody who was able to move a bit as part as, a, as at least one half of that attacking partnership. I mean, when Gerard obviously used to play in that type of position when Fernando Torres was uh, was at Liverpool, and it was brilliant. It was amazing. Um, the two of them, though, were really quick players at that time. And now Lambert and, and Gerard is it's like it's like a you know a Masters football tribute act, and. Uh, it didn't. Uh, I'd be surprised if we see it too many more times. Uh, come for a night for Arsenal against Borussia Dortmund. We'll talk about that with Miguel Delaney, who was at the Emirates, and Richie Sadler is going to be in studio in a little while to talk about what has been a hell of a week for John Delaney in the FAI. It's time now for Ken Early's report on sport. I guess we'll start with that, Owen, um, the John Delaney story, which the FAI seem to think is all over, and maybe it is if you if you're the kind of organisation that doesn't mind leaving important questions unanswered. You know, if if you think essentially it's just the case of, well, we're just not going to say anything more about this. Uh, and maybe that maybe that ultimately will be good enough for Irish football. Um, I mean, you, you see when these sort of things happen, um, uh, I mean, I mean you, you wonder, is, I mean, and the FEI are saying, you know, we've got, every, we're delighted with John Zane. We recently gave him a new contract till 2020 and uh, yeah. That's that's the way it's going to be, you know. I I think he still um, has certain issues that need to be addressed, certain issues that need to be clarified in the wake of of, of this whole thing. I, I don't know really what the practice is. I mean, most of the time, if somebody is the chief executive of, of a big uh, of a, I mean, the FAI is not a big organization by the standards of you know Irish business or uh, you know even semi-state bodies or you know, whatever category the FA falls into. But it is a high-profile organization in Irish life. Um, so we'll wait and see We'll wait and see what happens in terms of the FAI. I mean, John Delaney obviously has had a lot to say himself. Uh, he, did a, he did the rounds of, of uh, radio stations on Tuesday after this story was published in the Irish Times, um, which uh, mentioned that, you know, the FAI have refused all day to comment on this video, which shows John Delaney singing this song. Uh, and he, and he, yeah, it was it was him. It turned out, Joe McDonald's a song that's been sang in my presence that I've chipped in on or sang a number of occasions in the past. I'm not somebody who supports violence at all. He says, for which I suppose we have to be grateful. That's that's great. I, I never thought that he did support violence. I don't think I don't know. I don't don't remember there being a suggestion that he did support violence. Either. No, I don't. Uh, but I mean, it's good that not in this, not in the certainly not in the uh, Emmett Malone's piece in the front page of the Irish Times. It's good that he's he's cleared that up, though. And in fact, over a large number of years, I've been working very closely on cross-border initiatives in football to break down barriers. I'm just not a violent person. My grandfather fought in the Civil War. He also fought in the War of Independence. I've always said I have a nationalist background. That is true. John Delaney has said that many times. And most recently, I remember him on the Saturday Night Show with Brendan O'Connor talking about this. I've wondered why he's talking about this. We talked to Ryan Tuberty on the Late Late about it as well because they, he referenced that in the interview with Tuberty on 2FM that this is something that we've talked about, Ryan, that I've talked to you about in the past. It's something he's very proud of. Uh, it's something that he wants to get out there. But not he's not necessarily proud of himself for having sung this song, Joe McDonnell. He makes the point um, that uh, 
you don't always believe every every word of a song that you sing. Um, I mean, it seems as though somebody wasn't happy with him having having sung. Someone in the FA, I thought it might be a problem for him. Otherwise, I can't imagine why Balsarie would have been told to take down this video clip on Saturday and why The Guardian and Telegraph would have been told, well, it's not him, and why other media organisations, including the Irish Times, who tried to contact the FAI to ask about it, were blanked. Yeah. You know, so somebody thought, oh, this could be a problem. Um... And I suppose if maybe if if Delaney had had said at the at the beginning, yeah, it's it's me, then he would have had to deal with that problem, and I think that would have been a smaller problem than the one that he's got now. The one of the uh, over the course of the, and I think he did an interview on Four FM as well, did he? But over the certainly over the course of the yes, did, uh, yeah. interview on Two FM and the interview on News Talk with Pat Kenny, both of those, if I remember correctly, he referenced. I'm not sure why, but he referenced the players. He said that there's a long history of players of the Irish football team from Jack Charlton's days through to today singing Sean South, Sean South and Gary Owen on the team bus on the way to games. Now, I thought that was a, 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 a little bit strange in that he's now highlighting something that happens in private among the players. The players yeah. are singing this on the team bus. I don't know if they want uh, that to be known. M- maybe they do, maybe they don't. But it doesn't seem to me to have a particular relevance to what we're talking about. For one thing... Those guys are players. They're footballers on a bus. On the bus. That the is. That really it's, is a private. Essentially, setting. it is in the dressing room. Whereas Delaney is the chief executive of the association in a who, pub. In a in a pub with, loads with of quite people a lot there. of people there. It's it's strange that and that wasn't just a slip writing. That was clearly something that he thought would be a good part of the defence to let it be known that the players sing Republican songs too. You know. Yeah. And in fairness, Paul McGrath tweeted that in support of him. Good thing camera phones weren't around in our day. Yeah. Um. And that's true, but I mean, camera phones are a fact of life now. John Delaney should know that better than anybody. I don't know if there's if there's an individual on YouTube who has more private uh, camera phone footage of. I mean, in terms of, uh, we've just been looking at some of the some of the greatest hits well, this morning. Yeah, on. well, the Independent put up uh, a list of ten ten different clips on their website. All of uh, almost all of them involving um, John Delaney somewhere in Eastern Europe. <laughs> yeah, surrounded by a lot of fans who are. You could say acclaiming him. I'm not sure if they're all necessarily acclaiming him. A lot of fans are making a lot of noise in his immediate vicinity. In his immediate vicinity. Sometimes in pubs, sometimes from the stands as he's on the pitch. Famously at a train station. Yeah. And it could be any venue. It could be any obscure venue. He walks out onto the pitch and is is it Talon? To sort of acclaim yes. the fans, you were there. Was you that were that the, game? You were, in, you were in the stand. Oh, in, you were there behind that goal, looking out at John. It was Delaney. after the uh, the four 0 against yeah. Estonia. It was it was that, that was a surreal game because <laughs> we were just so much better than their, than our opponents in a yeah. playoff match. This had never happened. I mean, we scraped through against Iran, yeah. who we thought we might be a decent bit better than, and uh, every other playoff that I remember, we've ended up getting beaten. So it was just amazing drawing Estonia and thinking these guys look pretty pretty poor yeah. then going out there and thinking these centre halves can't even kick a ball yeah. I mean they can sort of head it and then those centre halves being sent off then they get sent off so we're against nine men I think by the end of it Robbie yeah. Keane fitting his boots yeah. uh, Johnny Waters getting a goal 4-0 amazing stuff penalty I think towards the end so you're already in jubilant mood and uh, and slightly giddy mood and uh, then suddenly what's going on here everyone's turning around and look oh my god that's oh, John Delaney He's coming, he's coming, he's coming this way. What is he doing? So he made his way all the way down. This wasn't along the side of a pitch. This was down a terrace at the end of the pitch. Yeah. And he comes all the way down behind that goal to just salute the fans <laughs> in a hilariously uh, flamboyant manner. Yeah. Fist pumped. I don't think there was a tie thrown. I didn't see, maybe there was. Uh, I think so, yeah. Oh, was there a tie thrown? Well, he, certainly he did a tie it in Skopje anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a lot of, uh, a lot of this fist clenched, glorious, glor- glorying in our amazing triumph. 
and the reaction was was I mean I guess everybody was happy uh, everyone everyone was giddy yeah. and there was a lot of a lot of cheering a lot of there was a lot of laughter I must say as a well a lot a lot of laughter yes you should check out the video because the, you can get a sense of how the Irish fans were reacting to this display from John Day and you can hear you can hear their comments I don't need to I don't need to say them here but look that's um that's another example of uh, of John Delaney being recorded. It's something which he he knows has happened many times. I'm sure he's not absolutely delighted about all those videos being out there. Some of them, you know, some of them show him uh, late at night in in Sopot and so on and so forth. And maybe it's I don't know. Who would you be? I, I don't know. Well, he used the term. Uh, he he said if if I'd known that uh, the, somebody would record this in a sly way and try to use it in a way that represents you incorrectly, I would never have sang it. But well, I don't understand how it's representing him incorrectly when no. it's just it's simply showing him singing a song. Um, there was also this issue of cyberbullying. I don't know what it has to do with anything, uh, to be honest, apart from the fact that uh, John Delaney's statement says that on the Monday uh, he was primarily trying to deal with this issue. Uh, certainly some of the radio interviews focused on, on this issue of cyberbullying. Um, but we're not going to focus on it here because I don't know what it has to do with anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, essentially it seems that, you know, Emma English took exception to some of the comments that were made about her on, on the YBIG forum and various other uh, forums um, and posted up some examples of, of this in, in the course of a statement that she wrote up on Facebook. And, uh, you know, apparently this is a this is a big problem. Uh, you know, I mean, cyberbullying is, is terrible. You know, I'm sure anyone who has, has uh, kids in school probably has had to deal with this at some level. You know, it's increasingly an issue. It's it's an issue which doesn't have anything to do no. with this whole. This no, it's another. It's another. About. It's another side. Absolutely side issue. And uh, I mean, another one is. Uh, it just felt. It felt a bit strange. I thought on for John Delaney, who was on the, the subject of a front page story in the Irish Times that that I thought he was going to be talking about, uh, and various stories that followed up in the Guardian later on that morning on Tuesday morning, explaining that his lawyers had said this thing, and you know. Now he was saying a different thing. I would have thought that would be the main focus of of the discussion. Instead, we were talking about cyberbullying, and even within the conversation, which, which he's against as well. Even in the context of the conversation about the the singing, the singing of the song and that story, he says in that pack interview that Emmett Malone he thinks has an agenda. Has had, has had he's had an agenda for many many years, and it, it comes out clear in all his writing. Hmm. Um, and interjects essentially say, "Look, you can't say that. I can't, you, you have to take that up with Emmett." And he says, well, of course I will. And there's been a backlash already towards how he's handled, uh, handled all this. And then he moves, moves along, yeah. which is extraordinary because, first of all, he doesn't back up. He doesn't explain anything about this. He just this, throws the accusations. The, 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 the supposed agenda. And if you, look at, if you look at the way Emma Malone covered this story, stood up the story, um, had it on the front page, and was proven to be 100% correct about it, yeah. I really don't understand where the, uh, where, where the agenda comes from. And Emmett has done a sub, uh, number of interviews over the last couple of days in which I think he's spoken very well about, how, uh, about, how, about the story, about why he feels it's significant, the number of reasons why he feels the initial story was significant enough, and now it has become, and obviously why the reaction from, from Delaney and the FAI to it uh, is, is worth reporting and worth talking about. Oh, definitely. But you see, I mean, the point there was that John Delaney then said the backlash has begun against Emmett Malone, by which presumably he means people on the Internet writing abusive comments to Emmett. Mm. I mean, is that what he's talking about? 
We don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't go any further than that. But. Well, the, the backlash, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Emmett seems to be dealing with the backlash all right, thankfully. Uh, he seems to be in, in good shape. He's holding up. Um, yeah, so look, you know, we're going to talk to Richie about this ludicrous story. But, you know, I mean, although there's, there's this um, statement saying this is all over, I'm not... I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be, su- I'd be surprised if it was. I don't think... Um, I don't think it's been it's been brought to a satisfactory conclusion yet. Let's talk Champions League. Um, yeah, okay. Well, uh, something that did have a satisfactory conclusion, Owen, was the Manchester City's game against Bayern Munich the other night. Sergio Aguero is just absolutely incredible. Sergio Aguero is touched by God uh, at the moment. A game which it looked as though it was going to be the, possibly the most humiliating yet for Manchester City outplayed and dominated at home by 10 men of Bayern Munich who were already qualified. And, you know, beforehand, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is saying, well, no, I mean, this is a very important game for Bayern. I mean, think of the prize money. Uh, it's, that's important. The UEFA ranking, always important. An extra three points always helps. So he was casting about for reasons as to why this was a significant game for um, Bayern, who were thinking, well, we, we might rest some players here. Yeah. They lose a man and go a goal behind, and then totally outplay and dominate Manchester City. So you think, you know, this is, this is not looking good. And really, they, they continued to do that for the rest of the game, apart from the couple of times that they gave the ball to Sergio Aguero, who showed just incredible presence to, um, to score those goals. I mean, uh, Lampard is talking about, um, talking about Aguero. You know, world-class strikers do help you win games. Lampard, he was probably City's be- second-best player. Um, yeah, he was good. Um, he says uh, they do help you win games, but the rest of the team needs to perform. Uh, I mean, at the moment, Manchester City have no chance of winning the, the Champions League, primarily because Sergio Aguero is going to get injured again. And if he is injured, it looks at the moment as though they haven't got anybody who can um, who can cover for him. I mean, who who does, really? I mean, you do wonder with Aguero, uh, the stage that he's at in his career. Um you know, there's, there's been all this talk about Manchester City and how they're um, sort of the fans haven't really quite taken to the Champions League or feel a little bit apathetic about it. And maybe when you have a win like that against a big team like Bayern, it sort of becomes a, a moment of a, a turning point. You know, oh, hang on, this is this is Champions League is actually quite good. You know, come on, I'm sure the Manchester City supporters know, you know, what the Champions League means. Um, in terms of Aguero, though, he I wonder where his career is going to take him next if it's actually going to take him anywhere else do you think that he actually the stage that he's at now he's he's 27 at the end of the season um, he is uh, obviously a world class player and playing for a team that still doesn't look anywhere close to winning the Champions League really but probably too expensive considering his injury record to be bought by one of the teams that more reliably wins it, which is, say, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Bayern Munich. He may be, it may be once a blue, always a blue for Sergio Aguero, which I suppose would be good for Manchester City. Well, he's not exactly looking like a guy who's on the way out this season. Depends how well he plays, I suppose. Mm. If he keeps playing this well, (laughs) you know, it was a bit like Suarez last season, playing for his freedom. You know, he (laughs) he eventually managed to win, but he had to win the golden boot to do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a with, massive driving force for players now. If I can just propel my team to a league title, I might, or or close to one, I, I might, might get out of here. Get my ticket out of here. Um, Pep Guardiola saying, we lost, but I'm very proud. 
We dominated, but we made two mistakes. We didn't deserve this. When we play shit, we lose, but we didn't deserve this. Uh, so saying they played really well. Um, I did finally read that book about him on the Guardiola book, uh, Marty Pernau Pernau book about uh, Pep Guardiola. Yeah, it turned out to be decent enough. I mean, there's a, it's a little bit. It sticks a little bit in the craw sometimes. Some of the more saccharine um, accounts of you know. I mean, why there seems there's a lot of repetition. Why do I keep having to read on every page Tony Kroos and Guardiola? Oh, they knew they were going to be friends. Oh, Tony Kroos is doing brain of the team. Tony Kroos has got amazing gifts. You know, this kind of stuff. Or like he meets uh, Ribery. They didn't just get along. They dazzled each other, <laughs> even though they couldn't understand each other. You're like, well, did they dazzle but each other? But you love repetition in a football manager biography. I mean, I'm thinking oh, Red or Dead, the British Dead. Yeah. Well, you're, that was you're a, the only man in Ireland that I know of anyway who... <laughs> That was a stylistic device. I, really I mean, that enjoyed was, that book. That was uh, that was attempting to achieve a literary effect. It was a t- it was a uh, well. Every book is attempting a, to achieve a literary effect. Isn't yeah, it? but in that in the case of Red or Dead, the repetition was was part of was a was a metaphor for what he's trying to get across about about Shankly himself. Whereas in this case, it just seems like useless verbiage, padding out the word count. And besides, I'm I'm kind of wondering why if Tony Cross and Pep Guardiola are such good friends, is he playing for Real Madrid now? <laughs> And I'm looking at the... I mean, there's bits in it as well where, you know, say Mario Mandzukic is an interesting case. Mandzukic scored a hat-trick last night for Atletico Madrid. Yeah. Excellent player for Bayern Munich. Scored the goal, the opening goal in their Champions League final win over Dortmund. Um, didn't become the f- top scorer in, the, in Germany last season because Guardiola was taking him off when it looked like it might, he, might, he might beat Lewandowski, who Bayern were signing, to replace Mandzukic. It looked as though Mandzukic might end up the top scorer, and he was subbing him off. Then he left him out of the cup final squad. Mandzukic talked about that a while ago. Said, "Yeah, you know, um, he did that deliberately because uh, he didn't want me finishing as top scorer." That's what. Man- now, what we get from this is no comment from Mandzukic in this book. I, I, I'm kind of like talk to Mandzukic and see what he says. He's going to say something interesting. He's the player who's got a bit of a problem. The problem he has is. I know that I'm doomed here. Nothing I nothing I do can actually make any difference because they're signing Lewandowski, even though I've played well. I don't think I deserve to be replaced. This guy just I don't even know if it's him necessarily. So you got this situation a bit like the Zlatan situation, you know, where he he doesn't have a good rep, rep, uh, rapport with Pep. Right. Now I want to hear I want to hear his side of it. But I don't get that. What you do get though is some what sounds to me a little bit the episodes, especially in the first half of the season, where Pep sort of takes the team and he goes, guys, listen, there's one guy who I want you to look to as an example. It's this guy here, Mario Mandzukic. Every game, he fights, you know, he leads the team. He leads the fight. He presses first with more energy than everybody. He's got such, God damn it, he's got such passionate <laughs> intensity. This man is a force of nature, and this is the man who you should be trying to emulate. And Mandzukic, who knows well that he's... All right, he's on the chopping block. He's already been processed by the chopping block. He's been packed up. He's going to be sold off like a piece of meat in the summer. Well, has, what's he supposed to think when he listens to that? He's sitting there listening to Pep talk about his amazing qualities when he knows that he's already... Well, he could have uh, borrowed a line from Anthony Daly's book, Ken. Which was? Anthony Daly is, uh, has, is just being let, relieved of his duties as Clare captain by mm-hmm. Gerard Clan. Being kept in the team, but already... Daddy's thinking, well, the end is the end is in sight here if he's taking the captaincy off me. But listen, we'll take it on the chin. So he has to go through this rigmarole at, at the next training session where Lachnan gathers the team around tight and starts eulogising 
daily for the uh, amazing leadership that he's shown over all these years and blah 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 and Delaney just cuts or Daly I should say just cuts him short John Delaney is uh, is inserting himself into this story somehow Uh, Daly just cuts him short and says Ger save it for your book (laughs) brilliant (laughs) yeah brilliant and then like Nan laughs Daly laughs everyone else laughs and and that's it Manzukic apparently not quite Manzukic just uh, just he kind of fumed a little bit and sort of, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe then he liked that. But actually, it's interesting you mentioned Anthony Daly's book because there's another story in that book which illustrates something important about Guardiola, where, which is the question that was posed by Alex Ferguson about him being, why would he leave Barcelona? Why did he leave? Ferguson couldn't understand this. Guillaume Balga did a book about Guardiola last, last year, and this was the foreword. <laughs> um... Uh, Alex Ferguson's foreword to the book, uh, he said, yeah, you know, I don't really understand the sabbatical. I don't understand the sabbatical business. Uh, it was Ferguson's uh, message. So he was saying, you know, a big club, a great club, great players. Everywhere you go, there's going to be pressure. You'll never have it as good anywhere else. Why walk away? I, couldn't, I don't get it. That, that was what Ferguson was saying, you know, in, in his foreword. It was a strange sort of foreword. <laughs> You're supposed you know? to be talking about how great this guy is. Um, but the answer to that is there's a story in Anthony Daly's book it's, it's one of his uh, confrontations with Brian Cody I think it starts off along the lines of uh, Cody says that's a Kilkenny ball and, <laughs> and Daly says I'm going to go out of that that's, that's a Claire ball and uh, so that's I think it's Claire yeah, he, he was no, he was probably managing Dublin. Dublin. Oh, I could know. Actually, Claire was his first. Yeah, his first contract. He was still managing Claire. Yeah, and and so the two of them then start strutting around, uh, sort of like a pair of bantam cocks on the on the sideline, uh, puffing their chest out and saying, "That's how it's my ball." And then they start sort of trash talking each other. So I can't remember. What, oh, Cody says, "Geez, Anthony, you're a long time trying to bait me now, aren't you?" Uh, to which Daly responds. Uh, my mother could coach that team. And we're po- all Ireland. Yeah, point, pointing at the Kilkenny players. Should look at the players you've got, you know, X, Y, Z. You know, my mother had coached these lads, right? I think Pep Guardiola had that particular barb thrown at him quite a few times on quite a few sidelines. That although he was, you know, the great, the most successful coach, the coach of the most successful period of Barcelona's history, there was a lot of people going, yeah, but Messi, you know. You got Messi, you got Xavi, you got Iniesta. You know, you got all these other great Barcelona players. My mother could coach that team. As you ask Hank Tenkate, I mean, he disagreed, but he said, couldn't anyone coach that team? <laughs> no, of course not. So Guardiola always of course they couldn't have. But the fact is that while he was just at Barcelona, it still would have looked like it was Messi doing it. Whereas this book kind of makes it clear that actually he kind of felt the need to prove himself somewhere else. That Ferguson saying, oh, you know, why would he do it? Ferguson's a bit different. He was able to prove himself over time, team after team, generation after generation. He was the common thread running through all these uh, successful periods. Guardiola would never have had that time at Barcelona. He needed to do it somewhere else to show that he could build a team as good, as dominant um, as the Barcelona team, which wasn't with those Barcelona players. And that seems to be one of his big driving forces One more quick story. Brandao, I suppose, Owen. Oh, yeah. This is a player who's gone to jail for headbutting player. Um, the player in this case, the victim in this case, Thiago Mata. I mean, this has happened before. Duncan Ferguson went to prison for headbutting uh, an opponent. Um, this is a little bit different. Um, this was uh, after a game between Bastia and PSG, 
They obviously had some little problem out in the field, Thiago Mata and uh, Brunette. I mean, Thiago Mata is a man who causes problems for his opponents. He's like, he's not an easy, he's one of those guys, he's a nightmare to play against. You know, that's why he was a, one of the linchpins in the Jose Mourinho inter midfield. You know, he's a kind of a guy who knows a few of the tricks of the trade. Brandao evidently got so annoyed that as Thiago Mata was, uh, well, they went off the field, Brandao uh, scuttled into the tunnel quickly, then, then lurked there, and Thiago Mata came walking through on his way to the dressing room, whereupon Brandao suddenly jumps out and headbutts him, sticks the nut in him, and takes him down. I think, you know, uh, Mata's blood all over the place, you know, blood pouring from his nose, and then Brandao runs off to the dressing room. This is obviously all on tunnel cam, just assume it's going to be on film. Just assume, whatever it is, just assume it's going to be on film. That's the message and the closing moral of today's... Mata, um, just a slight correction, Mata didn't go down. He actually stood pretty firm and chased Brandao, and Brandao ran off, which was probably part of the most... Didn't look great. One of the most cowardly parts of the, of the particular, of, of that actual act, but um, he might be getting away with community service. We'll see how that sentence goes. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. Oh, dear, oh, dear. oh dear. Bakery, ooh, got involved in a logistics company in Waterford, partly involved in a furniture shop in that loan. We leased the pub in, in Tralee. John Delaney could run anything. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, when he comes up, then give me a shout. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow, too. Don't forget that. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Richie Sadler has popped into the studio. Richie, how are things? How are you, lads? Well, we're pretty good. I'm looking forward to hearing your views on the events of the last week or so. Uh, we'll just start with the statement from last night. I'm going to read it in full just in case people haven't got on top of this yet today. This is from, it's on the FAI's website. Statement from Tony Fitzgerald on behalf of FAI Board. I might as well read, it out, uh, read all of it out. Tony Fitzgerald, President of the Football Association of Ireland, spoke this evening on behalf of the FAI Board in relation to John Delaney. Following recent coverage of the cyberbullying of his partner, Emma, and the fact that John has publicly apologised if he offended anyone for singing the nationalist song in question, we are happy to bring the matter to a close. Um, the board is more than pleased with the way John Delaney is running the association. He has done an enormous amount for Irish football. In the past year alone, with the winning of Euro 2020 bid for Dublin adds to a number of very important developments he has helped oversee during his tenure. We recently awarded him a contract extension to 2020, and he is fully deserving of that. Uh, that's the end of the statement. Does that put everything to bed for you? Yeah, nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I mean, it's ludicrous, the whole thing. I mean, particularly that statement. I don't know why the statement led with the issue of cyberbullying. Um, the FAI's focus should have been elsewhere, and even in addressing the issue, they focused on and that it's an issue about singing a song. A week ago, 10 days ago, or a week ago, whenever this broke, it was about singing a song. Mm. And had had nothing happened since then the conversation would have been limited to the rights and wrongs of singing a song. If you sing the lyrics of a song, do you mean it? All those kind of discussions would have happened and then it would have wandered into the bigger picture stuff of should a man in his position in this country, knowing the sensitivities of everyone on the island, should he be singing that song in the way that he did in a public place? But it's moved on so much since then because of their handling of it, their response, their original denials, the... the, the a couple of Delaney's interviews during the week were interesting as well. Um, so much has happened in the week that it's no longer about whether someone in his position should be singing a song with potentially offensive lyrics. Um, the, I mean, this is obviously not the only statement that was put out this week. There was John Delaney's statement, um, which was uh, put out on, was it Tuesday? Monday, Tuesday evening? Mm. Yeah, what about Tuesday? Yeah. Tuesday evening. Uh, and he says, yeah. um, he says... Sorry, possibly Monday. Anyway. I, it, it's, Tuesday, it's Tuesday evening. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I now understand that while I was travelling and uncontactable, there was some confusion through a third party around the background of a video which appeared and where it happened, which led to misunderstanding. Do you have any idea what that sentence is that's, trying to say? That's a phenomenal sentence. I don't know what it means. I assume it's it's intended to be deliberately vague, but it's... I don't know what it's trying to do. Well, there. we've all... Everyone's taken it to be uh, an, a possible explanation of why it was that a law firm acting for the FAI um, contacted the Guardian newspaper and threatened them, told them it wasn't John Delaney in the video and um, made very clear that there there could be legal repercussions if uh, if the Guardian went ahead with the story. But for, that, that I do find that bizarre that that's the, the meaning we're taking from it, but it's actually not, there's nothing mentioned about it. In, in either statement, there's nothing mentioned about these legal threats. There's nothing mentioned about the initial denial of whether, uh, of, of it actually being John Delaney, the mm. denial of the story that was made, uh, that was made on his behalf. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about, the, there's nothing about the fact that the first, um, uh, the, the first time it became apparent that there was something going on in terms of trying to deny that it was him in the video was on Saturday when Balls that I.E. were contacted by the FAI to um, to remove this thing which they'd posted up. So no, there's, there's an interesting enough video. It seems to be John Delaney singing there, um, singing a, an old Provo song in a bar. Uh, stick that one up. And then the FAI contacted them on Saturday say, I'll take that down and uh, threaten legal action Otherwise, so I don't know if John Delaney was traveling in uncontactable that on the Saturday as well, or, or if somebody at the FBI has gone rogue and is acting uh, and, is, and is dispensing legal threats without actually consulting uh, the chief executive at the center of the whole affair. It would seem, I mean, if that's what they're trying to say, if that's their position, it, it, it would seem pretty absurd that that would be their stance, that, that having known about this video from Saturday morning, and having an FAI spokesman, spokesperson contacting that website, telling them to take it down. They know it exists, that, that at no point would you actually think of contacting John himself, going, there's a video out there which people think could be you. Is it you? Like, that if he's still saying that by Monday he was uncontactable and that there was confusion, none of that stands up. Like, there's, there's no way in the world, by 48 hours after the FAI knowing this video was up, that there would be any confusion, mm. that, that they would be unaware of what Delaney's own view of the whole thing is. Yeah. That that conversation, that nobody in the FBI would think to go, John, is that actually you? So is it a problem that not, not, at no point really have the FBI addressed, uh, or John Delaney addressed the key issue here of why uh, false legal threats were made to media organisations in an attempt to claim that the person in the video who we could all see was John Delaney wasn't John Delaney. Is it a problem for the FA that they haven't bothered to do that? I mean, I know we, we know now that John Delaney is against cyberbullying, he's against violence, and he's pro-peace and democracy. He's also against intrusion of privacy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, that's, I'm, a big, that's a big issue of his as well. I'm with him. His I'm relationship is him. private. The relationship is... We should respect that. ...is as private as it's possible to be for something that shines so bright. Uh, but... Uh, he, you know, we, we've, we've, he's established his position on all of these, uh, all of these issues, but there really hasn't been any anything on this whole issue of um, of the legal threats and the and the attempt the attempt to cover up the fact that it was in fact him. That's I think that's the key issue. Like it's it, it's not really about as I said a moment ago. It's not about the singing of the song anymore. Um, like did the association willfully lie to lawyers? Did did, did they? Did Delaney lie to anyone? Um, 
what was the what was the background to these threatening legal letters? Was it just arrogance to think, well, if we if we keep bullying people, if we keep sending out threatening letters, this will just go away? Um, it's it's very difficult to try and make any sense of it, other than they were just really badly caught out trying to cover up something, which I don't know why at any point in this process did they think it was possible to cover up. Yeah, uh, it is. It's amazing that really it kind of shows the situation that we've got to now that you could maybe think, even though there's a video showing it, that everybody can look at, that maybe maybe we can pretend this isn't me. <laughs> maybe we can actually... That, that must be that, that somebody at at some point that must have been somebody's thought process, whether it's Delaney himself or the FAI, because obviously Delaney was aware that it was him. If yeah. his colleagues in the FAI were confused in any way, Delaney was aware it was, it was him. So to think then that you could threaten someone with a legal letter, or that you you would kind of put the might of the association on top of a website to say, you know, brush this under the carpet. That I mean, that would go yeah. away. Like. I mean, and they're claiming yeah, they're claiming it was a, mis- a miscommunication. We think that that's what they're claiming. I mean, that the, the only reference, the only it's uh, hard to see what else uh, they could. Yeah, the only ob- o- o- oblique kind of reference to the legal threats. I mean, we're saying there's nothing been said, but we've ta- most people have taken that sentence that you outlined earlier on to be the reference. Some to that confusion was a, through some a third confusion party, party around the background, around of, the the background video. of it. So that's that's what they're saying, and maybe they feel that that's answering it but even even with that surely you've got to actually address the issue head on yeah, it clearly doesn't answer i mean it doesn't answer anything nobody even knows what that sentence means i mean we assume that the, that's the sentence that refers to this embarrassing uh, situation that ensued um but i don't know what they're trying to say about it there's, there's no clarification no one is any clearer having read that statement of of the background or, or of the, the association's maneuverings over the weekend or delaney's thinking that's that sentence that you call out. Just that and this clears is a big up part nothing. of the problem. Yeah, it's not just a matter of being slow to uh, being slow to react to something or taking a, a strange tack in addressing it. It's actually the, the the statements that have come. It's the lack of clarity even in the statements that have come out. So you you think you you address uh, something in a, in a certain way, you get your point across, and then you let then you take the hit or you let people ar- you argue the point. But that first sentence in this Tony Fitzgerald statement to go through it again. Following recent coverage of the cyberbullying of his partner Emma and the fact that John has publicly apologised if he offended anyone for singing the national song question, we are happy to bring the matter to a close. I mean, which matter is the is the cyberbullying now? Has that become the same thing as the as the as John singing the song? I don't. I, I just don't understand why that the cyberbullying issue. So, cyberbullying is a serious issue, uh, but it's got nothing to do with this issue whatsoever. You said, Richie, that. Even the interviews that he's conducted have been a bit odd. Was there anything in particular? I mean, he, he spoke to Pat Kenny, Ryan Tuberty, these kind of people, and I think everyone is aware of his um, of his stance at this stage. But again, those interviews were about the the song itself and uh, and about the cyberbullying, as opposed to the what's come on in the in the latter part of the week. Yeah, I think in an interview, I would have liked to have him address specifically the issue of whether or not at any point in the last week did he lie to someone. Mm. Did, at any point did he, did he lie to a lawyer, did he lie to his colleagues in the, in the FAI board or anyone in the association because the stance from the FAI initially and from the lawyer was that this isn't him. So what was Delaney's role in that? There was a lot of interviews during the week, a few that he did and I listened to them and he spoke about a lot of other issues which didn't address that at all. He spoke about you know the, the tendency of fans or players to sing 
songs similar to the ones he sang um, whether whether a pub is actually a private event or not all these other things and he spoke about his relationship his love for his partner how happy they are I still didn't get a sense from him or from anyone who interviewed him said John did you lie mm. did you lie and if you did like why is your association putting out something which we now know to be false which we now know not to be true is that, to use a phrase from Maliki Clerkin's really good article during the week, is that, has he behaved in a manner unbefitting of the position he holds? Mm. So, yes, let's have a chat about him, the rights and wrongs of singing a song in a pub with a few pints on him in a public area. But if he, if he really believed that there was nothing to see here and it's a non-issue, why at any point would the association deny it was him? I know. Why would you try to cover up something on day one of a story, which no on day four up. you turn around and say, well... What's the fuss? We all sing songs. It's an Irish thing. We all drink. We all sing. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's that's obviously one of the big mistakes that that was made uh, in the in this process here. You know, the fact that although the you know singing of this song, you know, I I, I would say, in my opinion, it's inappropriate for uh, the CEO of the FAI to be singing that song in a crowded pub. I that's that would be my opinion, but that's just my opinion. And there's a lot of people who would consider, well, no, there's no problem with that, actually. Um, you, know, the, you know, an Irish man sings an Irish oh, that song. Was the initial What's reaction? the big deal? That was the initial reaction, and uh, Emmett Malone himself said he got some negative. He got a lot of people uh, saying, well done on the story, and he got other people, quite a sizable number of people saying, "What's the, why, why are you even reporting this? It's, it's a non-story. Yeah. So there would have been quite a considerable... I, I, I don't actually agree with that. I think the story itself was well worth reporting I think to so begin too, yeah. with, and that Emma did a good job on it. But it would at least have been arguable. Arguable, and a lot of people yeah. in Ireland would have definitely argued, uh, would yeah. have actually backed up the, the, the John Delaney viewpoint there. That And a lot of those would have been the same people, I'm sure, that wouldn't have been happy with the England fans singing about the IRA. The only other people in the world still singing about the IRA that night... The England fans, who the FA then apologised on behalf of, we're sorry about the way that our fans behaved there. It's, it's inappropriate, you know, who dredges all that stuff up now in the in 2014. Um, well, you know, you, you've got your answer there. Well, what can they do now? What, what can the well, FAI do or, or John Delaney do now? Uh, they've, they've clearly lost control of the story as the week progressed. Well, it sounds to me, just on the basis of the, of the most recent statement, um, that they're very happy with with everything. Uh, John Delaney uh, is against cyberbullying. Is uh, has apologised if anyone was offended by the singing of the song. We're hosting Euro 2020. Uh, therefore, we're happy to draw a line on the whole thing. So that seems to be the FAI's position. I wonder though if the FAI has a problem now. Do do they have a credibility problem if they haven't if they haven't really addressed these issues? Um, you know, of whether, you know, I mean, this, these false statements were put out. Nobody really seems to have, um, nobody seems to have <clears throat> explained how that happened. Mm. Does that then leave them with a credibility problem? And if, uh, and, and is that actually a problem? A credibility problem being that the next time there's a story, the FA put out a statement or we hear something and we're, we're th- naturally thinking, well, hang on. Well, the, the last time we this were, this is the crowd the last time, you know, we, we heard this wasn't him in the video, but, but it was. Is that a problem? I think I think there's no way that this isn't damaging to Delaney personally. It certainly it, it raises a whole issue of credibility for the association. Like you said, every statement that subsequently comes out from them, well, we'll turn around. Well, well, do you remember last time? Like they were even so they they were either so wildly incompetent that they didn't contact the CEO to clarify whether it was him or not in a video before threatening balls.ie um, and. 
or else they lied or else they, they, they knew what they were saying was false and that they were okay with lying. Um, not individuals, but someone speaking on behalf of the FAI. So, of course, there's a credibility issue. And like Ken's point, does that matter? Probably not within the association. I often think, you know, when, when someone within an association acts in a certain way and you know, then the question is, well, you know, can he survive this or, or, or will he be ousted from his position? That usually comes from someone else in, within the organisation putting pressure on or saying, listen, there's a right and wrong way to behave. You're clearly gone outside what we would expect someone in your there, position. There is a, there is a third, um, to be balanced about this, there is a third possibility that whoever was contacting, was, was contacting Balls, for example, thought at the time that it wasn't Delaney. Um, and Would you not ring him? Of course I would, yeah. Of course I would, and I'm, I'm, the problem is... That well, in, in, if this possibility is the case, then we imagine we'll see a redundancy at the FAI pretty soon because someone's gone nuts. Someone's heaped embarrassment on, uh, on John Delaney by, by going on a solo run, failing to consult him about this and, and then you know, threatening a website with legal action without, without his say-so. I mean, if I was the chief executive and one of my employees did that, I wouldn't be pleased. The wording of the, the, um, the legal letter has been made public to, to Telegraph and The Guardian. It said, you know, my client's position is that it's not him in the video. That's the wording of the lawyer's. Am, am I? Is it too simplistic to assume that if that's my client's position, that well, at some point, my, at some point, the client stated that position? Well, I assume I assume lawyers ask the client, "What do you want me to yeah. say?" I mean, I, I do my, think like my client's position is it's not him in the video. Yeah. So my, I'm, I'm going to assume that at some point, Delaney stated it's not him in the position, hmm. or it's not him in the video. That's the position he was going to take anyway. Yeah. The, I noticed the, the lawyers themselves didn't write, it's not him in the video. <laughs> they said he's saying, it's, his position is that it's not him. I mean, um, uh, you know, I can't imagine they're too pleased with how this has gone, given, particularly given that their name uh, was published in The mm. Guardian. I mean, I do wonder sometimes with lawyers on a, on a theoretical level, uh, I haven't really had to have too many dealings with them in my life, uh, certainly not on, in this type of area. I mean, do lawyers not at some point try to advise their client as well as simply carrying out the instructions? I mean, say, for, for instance, in a hypothetical situation, there's a video of me um, throwing paint over your car, Owen. Mm-hmm. I've got a bucket of paint and I throw paint over your car. Now, you want to sue me for, I don't know, whatever it costs to repaint your car and maybe punitive damages. <laughs> uh, I say to my lawyer, listen, it's not me. And th- would they not say... There's a video of you doing it, though. This is going to be a risky strategy for you. Could be. We don't know what conversations went on behind the scenes there. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, uh, uh, my understanding is a lawyer has to act on uh, the lawyers employed by the client to state a position. And maybe may, uh, the, the client might take advice on board and ultimately decide, well... Uh, but what, we, what he's saying, what the lawyer's statement clearly says is that it's my, his client's position. It's Delaney's position. Yeah. Or the FAI's position. The so, so there's nothing the FAI just to wrap things up here, Richie, can, can do at this stage. There's no final statement that they could possibly make in which they confront all the things we're talking about and then say we're leaving it at that. Well, I think if they were to address why, why were mixed signals coming out at the start of the week, why did Delaney completely contradict on, I think, the Tuesday morning what Monday's legal letter said. Um, but I don't expect them to. I, I, I don't think there's any... There's anyone within the organisation that I can think of that would be really kind of pushing for this. They're saying, oh, lads, we've got it. We've got to get out and we've got to 
repair the damage of the last week. I genuinely believe that the statement we read last night um, is their position. That John is doing a great job and nothing to see here. Yeah. Okay, Richie, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Cheers, lads. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Just before we move on to the Champions League now, just to mention we did request an interview through the FAI with John Delaney, but uh, didn't receive any response to that interview request. We had hoped to speak to John about the story and about uh, have him talk us through his version of events. But uh, we'll talk Arsenal now, Ken. A 2-0 win over Borussia Dortmund. Impressed? Yeah, I was quite impressed, actually. I watched the, most of the Arsenal match. Um, you know, OK, Dortmund are a team maybe with the, that have some problems. I mean, I was at the reverse fixture of this and Dortmund really took Arsenal apart that night. And this was like, a, you know, Arsenal never looked in, in danger. I mean, they scored a really early goal dominated most of the play and a brilliant second goal from Sanchez who you know I mean we were talking before about how he maybe can be a real catalyst for the team and it hasn't it hasn't happened even though he's continued to play he's really doing well. all that all that can be asked of a catalyst Ken yeah he it's was just the, the reaction supposed to he was catalyzing, catalyzing the hell out of Dortmund last night hasn't really happened and uh, yeah the other, so eventually the others might start to follow his lead so uh, yeah it was it was it was good stuff from us so a win they they really needed Miguel Delaney was at the game Miguel was it a just judging by the way the players even were speaking about it afterwards was it a bit of a repost to the critics do you think after recent struggles. Yeah, um, I suppose to a certain extent. Um, it was one of those games, though, w- w- once you're there. And, like, obviously there's, there's something on the line, but not really that much. I mean, does, that, does anyone doubt that, they, or did anyone doubt that the group was going to end, as it, as it probably will, which is Dortmund on top and Arsenal second? So it was kind of a curious game that much, in that sense. And one of those where you think there's something more intense happening elsewhere. <laughs> Um, and and the, the other side of it, although you don't want to, you know, be too critical of Arsenal because they were genuinely very sharp, very impressive. It, it was beyond anything else, and no matter no matter about the opposition or what state they're in, it was a good display. But the only thing I kept thinking throughout, like even even when I was framing my aftermatch piece, I thought, like, okay, you know, the wider story again is Arsenal back on track. But how many times have we heard this over the past three years? I mean, I was thinking about it in the lead up to the game. There's been in the last three seasons alone. There's been at least one, usually two situations where Wenger has suddenly faced the kind of deepest questions about his entire management. I mean, even remember the, when they played Bayern Munich in 2012-13. Um, he, ke- he, ke- he after that game when they got knocked out in the last 16, he stayed in the dressing room with, or stayed in his own in his own office without talking to anyone for 25 minutes before doing the uh, the post match press conference. And then last season, we had that kind of series of collapses to Liverpool and then Chelsea. Now, after those, Arsenal, they do have developed this impressive capacity. They always just about get the result to prevent absolute crisis, but they can never kick on. So it seems we're always in this sense of stasis. And that's why I think in the long term, it's kind of hard to read too much into last night. Like even after the game, Wenger joked, like he was asked, how can, the, uh, how can the team finally improve 
the last 16 performance and he joked, oh, we need someone else to do the draw. Well, you know, it would help if they finished first or actually went and beat a team like this. Yeah, Miguel, I've got an idea as to why that might be, why, you know, I mean, you're talking about Arsenal consistently kind of facing this crisis and questions about Wenger and then it sort of all goes away, they win a game or two and everyone forgets about it until the next time. It's because Arsene Wenger himself is such a smooth and convincing presence um, when he's addressing these sort of issues. I mean, I heard him the other day talking about, um, uh, I mean, it was, it was, he was responding to criticisms that had been made by uh, Usmanov, the uh, board member, who had said things like, principles are always a, a kind of, uh, what was the word that he used? Principles are always a restriction. <laughs> and uh, and, and he, restrictions are not good. Restrictions aren't great. You want you want to have a free hand. There's no point in trying to fight with one hand tied behind your back because you got principles, um, and, and making various other criticisms. And Wenger uh, was just so kind of smooth in the way that he addressed this. And he said things like, "You know, at Arsenal, uh, you're either uh, with us, you know, or he didn't say you're with us or against us. That would sound like George Bush. But he he said, you know, if you're an Arsenal man, you know, we we don't we don't go to the newspapers. We say it to each other's face, you know. And I absolutely yeah. respect all opinions. And he just sort of sounded so kind of calm and reasonable that you're sort of sitting there thinking, yeah, there isn't really, you know, this is. I mean, this is a good man. How could anyone ultimately doubt this man? He's so good at public relations. That's exactly. And I have to say, like, in, from the kind of the time I spent in England and covering anger, like, which is probably pretty much been three of his worst years at Arsenal, you could say. What, what always, anytime I go to his press conference, in comparison to pretty much any other manager, he's kind of a joy to cover. And he's, he's a manager that you can actually ask him a question about football and he'll give you a proper answer. He'll talk about it intelligently. And then you, you, you do come away thinking, like, this, you know, what a knowledgeable guy. Like, he, he really is one of, the, one of the greats in that sense. Then you go from that, someone who kind of thinks things out, so much nuance of his thinking, to go to then to kind of... You know how simplistic some of their performances <laughs> are. Ridiculous what- goals that they let in. Like, like he's a complete, like just the the most ridiculous goals. The each time they're all in the other half and the opposing, opposing team runs through and scores, and you're thinking this guy actually is in the wrong job. He should be, at, you know, advising Angela Merkel or something, not managing a football <laughs> team. That's exactly. I mean. Yeah, and, and like, I think because we think we've mentioned that before as well. I mean, one of the things you know, he always he always brings up the economic arguments, and and which is a completely fair debate. And there 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 is a kind of a you know, there's a rationale to what he's saying that it's impossible for teams to compete. The problem there is, if you're in charge of a team, what you don't want to hear your manager is giving an economic lecture on why they're failing. You want defiance. How can we stand up to this? And I think that that message. It, it, <laughs> without kind of being too pat, it's almost sometimes he's, he's, he's a bit too considered for his own good. Um, and uh, I, you, but from that, you do come away often thinking as well that he'd, he'd be suited to the director of football job at somewhere like Arsenal, or someone a bit more aggressive maybe, or a bit more abrasive, now, a, bit, a bit more modern perhaps, takes the coaching role. Yeah. Uh, Miguel, just on, on, in terms of what Arsenal actually did on the field, um, I was really impressed with Alex Oxley-Chamberlain last night, not for the first time in recent weeks, he seems to have hit an absolutely magnificent vein of form. I don't know if this is because uh, Alexis Sanchez is there in the team with him and he and he sort of feels as though this guy's maybe opened a few doors for him or, or kind of shown him the way. I, I'm not quite sure what's going on with him, but he looks like a guy who's, who's sort of really about to take off. Yeah, and he's kind of relishing the responsibility as well. Uh, I, I think that's completely it. There's, almost, there's been a bit of a meekness from some of Arsenal's players where particularly this season, and particularly Ramsey has been a bit disappointing and a real decline. 
But uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has been a complete reversal. I think it might have been you as well that said it, Ken. That he, um, it's almost like he's the Liverpool players responding to Suarez. A few of them are kind of having this, this, uh, the same reaction to to Alexis Sanchez. That because one of the great things about Alexis is how assertive he is. That's something that Arsenal have missed. I think we're really seeing that come across in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's game. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund have been going well in this competition. They were already qualified. They're, they've had a really bad season in the Bundesliga. And we saw, we saw last night Jurgen Klopp going on the field afterwards to have a go at Adrian Ramos. Well, it looked like he was having a go. It didn't look as though they were having a, a nice discussion. Uh, and obviously, he's making a point by doing that, marching out and where everyone can see uh, and making this public as opposed to waiting in the dressing room. I, w- I wanted to ask about Klopp because... He said something actually the day before the game, which struck me as uh, uh, interesting. He's been asked so many times about, well, when are you going to come and manage in the Premier League? You know, whenever they play an English team, which is quite a lot, they are, he's asked this. And usually the answer is this sort of a patronizing smile. And he says, look, I don't know how many times I've got to explain to you that Dortmund is actually a serious football club and I've got a serious contract and this is a serious mission and there's absolutely no way that I'm going to walk out in this. But that's not what he said at all on Tuesday. Yeah, I was struck by that. And to give it a bit of wider context as well, I mean, I remember when the likes of United were chasing Hummels in the summer, and the word was that, you know, it was pretty much off limits, that Hummels himself wanted to kind of be the Paolo Maldini of Dorman. And I think it's the same with a few other players that have bought into it. But in the last two months, there's been more and more talk that could be the beginning of, it, of an even greater exodus than what we've seen. So, I mean, and this is pure speculation, but given that change in tone from Klopp, and given all the recent form, you do wonder where, whether that has kind of maybe caused something of a reassessment of the club from its key figures. We're thinking, well, you know, how sustainable actually is this? Um, because, I mean, although, although I still think Klopp is, is one of the best managers in the world, what's happened in the last four years was kind of almost something quite unique and, and relatively freakish at that club as well. And I think it would be difficult to think you could, or it would be hard to replicate it. Again, um, yeah. So, like, and the other thing that struck me over last night, actually, I, oddly, given what he said, <clears throat> any time that uh, Klopp has been in England in the last few years, there's been this massive charm offensive. He's been really engaging and charming with the media. His press conferences have almost been events in themselves. But after the game last night, I think there's about two or three questions. No one was that bothered. He looked kind of bored. Um, and it was as if a little bit of spark had gone in terms of his kind of, you know, him commandeering Dortmund as well. And and also the kind of image he wants to portray at Dortmund. Miguel, you were at the Emirates, so I'm just wondering, was there any talk there at all among the British football media about our uh, balladeering <laughs> chief executive, John Delaney? Um, <laughs> not so much. I think they, they're mostly, from what I've seen, other than um, one or two papers who have... Um, really, I suppose, gone for the story. There's been kind of mostly this mild amusement at it all. Myself, what, what I've taught through all of this, how many chief executives across Europe, or even the world, do we actually know the name of? Usually it's not that many. It's been maybe, in England, the likes of Palios, if they're involved in a scandal, if they've got, or there's been some kind of controversy, or else someone like Sablon of Belgium, although I don't actually think he's a chief executive, but someone that's responsible for, uh, you know, one of the most glorious in infrastructural revolutions in football. <laughs> and um, I mean, this is what it basically comes down to. He, currently, he's in the media for the, the wrong reasons. Uh, and, and, and all while, we're pretty much having a crisis in terms of youth development. We're, we're, we're falling behind 
in ter- I think I think I when did a piece last year I saw a stat that an Irish player between the ages of 6 and 16 gets uh, 14 times fewer touches than their continental counterparts which obviously has a kind of a the, the multiplying effect on their on their game and their basic technique is huge so I mean all this is happening and then we have the that's what his manifesto should be all about. This should be his main objective now. But instead of hearing him talk about this, we're hearing him talk about nonsense, to be honest. Yeah, all right. Miguel, we'll leave it there. Great stuff, thank you. Cheers, lads. I'm interested that you placed uh, your alternative career for Arsene Wenger involved him as an advisor to Angela Merkel and not in his native France game. Well, look, he's from Alsace. You know, it's been one of those back and forth. An area of dispute over the years? Strasbourg, you know what I mean? Strasbourg. <laughs> uh, they're both. They both believe in. They don't believe in um, inflation. They don't believe in borrowing. Uh, I wouldn't say Arsene Wenger is a big proponent of austerity, but I'd say that him and Angela Merkel would have a lot. And of course, they're both lovers of the beautiful game. So, uh, actually, they've got a huge amount in common. And Arsene Wenger should probably be working for her. Okay. Well, that's the end of our football podcast. Arsene, if you're listening, I mean... Their names are even exactly the same length. Career. Six and six. <laughs> career advice. They both begin with A. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is any number of, uh, you know, parallels. And- Indeed. Have a listen to our first show today. We had Michael Foley in on... Uh, Michael Foley, the Sunday Times journalist, on his book, The Bloodied Field, about Bloody Sunday. That, that'll be the 1920 Bloody Sunday at Croke Park. And US Murph breaks off from his Thanksgiving preparations... To, uh, to chat to us a little bit about the NFL this week and the, the famous catch uh, by Odell Beckham Jr., a wide receiver for the New York Giants last weekend. You can have a look at that one on YouTube ahead of listening to our chat with US Murph. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this show. Thanks again. Thank you too, Owen. Take care. Check out the website, secondcaptains.com. And if you want to listen to some of the other shows on the Irish Times, it's irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Take care. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.